This is Up The Creek, the definitive Jonathan Creek podcast with your host, my good friend, Daniel Krupa, and me, Gav Murphy. Today, we're heading to the theater and dealing with an impossible death in a dressing room. So on this podcast, we talk about Jonathan Creek via the effect, the method, and the reveal. Daniel, what is the effect of the letters of Septimus Noon? West End star Juno Pirelli is stabbed in her dressing room moments after a performance. The room is completely sealed and no murder weapon can be found. But this is never presented as an effect to us. Instead, we know she is stabbed by the unstable wife of someone who works at the theatre and during the performance, she was a prosthetic conceal the recently sutured wound. This is a new thing now. Like This feels like the, the show is... Because it's a new series. Some years have passed. And this is it feels like, oh, is this going to be a new structure to it? We're getting the effect up top and then we, we get to see the effect. It's like when George Lucas returned to do Star Wars and forgot what people liked about Star Wars. Yeah. I've only ever watched these episodes once. It feels like such a different show in so many different ways. Yeah. I don't mind the idea that in the long run of Jonathan Creek, you have one episode that plays with the structure for a reason. Yeah, I don't mind that. It feels weird to do that with the first episode of a new season. Yeah, because then you just think, oh, is this how what it's going to be now? Because... This episode obviously does have plot, but it it just feels, these episodes feel more like it's just a drama with Jonathan Creek in and now and again something odd happens. I was going to say this about the next episode because we've prepped a few, but it's turned into this weird parochial comedy drama Yeah, of, of just things that happen to this bloke called Jonathan Creek who used to do this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It feels way more focused on him and lots of little kind of mysteries happening around him rather than the classic... Here's a big thing Jonathan is going to come in and solve. And like the 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 thing about this one as well <laughs> is this the first episode that we've seen that's after Sherlock has come out? Yes, I think so. Okay. Or when Sherlock was coming very popular, at least. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Ridley character played by Kieran Hodgson is obviously just meant to be this horrible piss take of Sherlock. But the more that it goes on, I'm not a huge fan of Sherlock, and I you know I've taking the piss on various other podcasts before saying that Jonathan Creek is a better show than Sherlock and I don't understand why one is popular and one isn't as popular but the more that he kind of takes the piss out of Ridley in this episode I find it like quite childish and just a bit the the, the mean spiritedness of it like I kind of not into there's also a stylistic parody when it kind of the the zoom in on the things that really notice they shoot it in a way that parodies the visual style of Sherlock as well yeah but the thing that really gets up my nose about the Ridley stuff is Ridley comes in I so I love the Sherlock Holmes stories and I did like the first season of Sherlock oh fantastic yeah some really good stuff in that first season what I don't like is when he comes in he does that thing where he tries his hand at the incredible conclusions that Sherlock does based on small observations, where he extrapolates a crazy amount of detail. And the show is mocking him for doing it because he also gets it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> In the last episode, Jonathan does the exact same thing 
to Joey. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have that both ways because it's also not a thing that Jonathan does that often. He's done it in a couple of episodes. He's done it in a couple of episodes, yeah. Like, I, But he did it in the last one with Joey and it's outrageous the conclusions he gets to about her being out of work based on a little burn on her thumb. It's like... Well, that's the thing. It's like he's done it before but he's kind of done it in typical Jonathan Creek mind-numbingly banal style where I think he did it at Caroline Quentin once where he noticed Zola's book was in her bag. And he says, like, you know, what do you reckon about this Zola character then? She's like, what do you mean? How do you know I'm looking at that? He's like, I saw the book in your bag. Yeah. Like, I had a look when you weren't looking. It's like, that's perfect for Jonathan Creek because it's just like, there's a thing for it. Whereas this, like this, the zooming in and the going like, almost like superpowerness of it. Jonathan is all about observation rather than putting too big a leap or like a conclusion on something. Don't attach too much to it. He always says that to her. Whereas this is just, that to a ridiculous degree. It, it's there's so much odd stuff that happens in this episode that I'm just like, why is this in there? Like the Ridley Ripley Nostromo like alien thing. Like why is that in it? Honestly, is that in it just for the final line? No one can hear you scream. Yeah, I feel Remwick just comes up with these little things that he puts it. I don't know. It's an odd little motif to have in this episode. It's really strange. She's like, no no prize for him or her favour. And it's like, she never mentions it again. She seems like a bit of an odd character anyway, the mum. So it's like... Sharon is one of the weirdest characters in Jonathan Creek. So it's, it's all over the place. It's quite... Because this episode is quite atypical in structure. It's very hard for us to do our normal approach to this episode. Because I don't even know when to like mention that even though that is... If you structured it differently, that would be the centrepiece in a Jonathan Creek episode. In this show, which is now just the assorted adventures of Jonathan Creek, there's also these additional mysteries. Hazel's mother's ashes disappear mysteriously. Polly finds in her family home some mysterious letters from Septimus Noon addressed to her mother who she was having an affair with. There's a mark on the desk that disappears. There's just all these like little odd things that happen. Mm. It's It's a really, really strange episode. You know, if you kind of flipped it all on his head and we didn't know why she got stabbed, it's almost like a decent mystery. Yeah. Where you just go, oh, okay. So I, I kind of don't get why they have like the, you know, the the sort of stage assistant who's obsessed with her and stuff like that. Like, I don't understand why they let it all out. And they also have this mad thing then where she doesn't go to the hospital after being stabbed because she doesn't want the girl to get in trouble. It's like, you still being stabbed though. <laughs> Yeah, you can still get a scene to. <laughs> I love they describe it as a flesh wound. Yeah. <laughs> Blood is spilling out of her. They go, yeah, it's a f- it's wound to the flesh, but it's definitely gone into other stuff. I also love is like she goes to the uh, makeup artist and he gives her like what's quite clearly not a bandage or anything. It's just a bit of rubber. She's like, oh, thank you very much. It's like, if you need that, you are in trouble. Like, <laughs> Why is he... Does he think he's complicit? I think a lot of it is pinned on they just want to protect this poor woman. Yeah. And the bloke. But that's the thing. Is like this, this, they want to, they... And that's why he hides the prosthetic behind the painting. Because she says if she goes to the hospital, then the police get involved. And the guy's like, I don't... I'm, I'm pretty sure you would still go to the hospital. You'd still put your health over, oh, I just don't want to, this poor woman. The way that the woman stabs her she like immediately regrets it and like breaks down afterwards so i was like oh is there something else going on here where she's been hypnotized no nothing like that at all the thing that they feel 
overwhelming sympathy for this couple is I think she experienced a miscarriage. Right. Her child has died and she they say she has morbid insecurity. Everything's a conspiracy. Right. So she becomes ridiculously and murderously jealous of Juno Pirelli because her husband, Angus, who works in the theatre, obviously has a crush on her. But the way that they describe everything to her is a conspiracy. I don't know even know how much you meant to think. Like, he obviously has a thing for her, but I don't know how much of that you're kind of seeing through Rachel's eyes, as it were. Yeah. But that's the reason they don't... The makeup artists, Daryl and Juno, they just... I think that's why they don't contact anyone. That's the kind of the loophole. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, should we do the clues? Because they're not... Again, it feels weird because it's not really a mystery, but Jonathan gets there because... There's a lot of things about words backwards in this. The Jonathan Clocksy, the clock's arrow on by Samuel Butler, which is nowhere backwards, and also yeah. the copy of Dylan Thomas on the bookshelf. Yeah. Because he sees a painting in the dressing room that says Sawjoy, which is actually, it's quite weird because the signature is the upper left-hand corner when typically it'd be bottom right-hand corner, and it would be the word Holmes, written in an ambiguous font that it does conveniently spell Sawjoy upside down. Spell it really well too. But... That's because it was turned upside down because that's where Daryl hid the prosthetic. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like... I just don't know why he would. Yeah, because Daryl's... He's not under suspicion. I feel like you could wrap that prosthetic up, stick it in your back pocket and be like, right, all right, I'll see you later. I just feel like there's no way you can do that. And also, he's never removed it. No. I don't think there's a way of doing that when... And not getting it fucking everywhere and doing that so cleanly and not having blood everywhere because there is so much blood. Oh, it's nuts. In that thing. It's there when Jonathan goes and checks on it. So again, the police in this impossible lot room murder haven't even done a basic search. Yeah. Well, we talk about that all the time. Is like, how are people, like, you know, we talked about it in Dance Macabre, is like, how other police like if you've got a lot of room you've only got a finite amount of things to look at and check yeah why why not check it like even if you just go look bill i'm gonna check this picture i know there's not gonna be anything on it but i'm still gonna check it anyway do you remember um, that time i checked the paintings <laughs> um we would have had it yeah it's mad isn't it i just don't know how we adequately deal with all this other stuff so you know we talked about other episodes where it feels like he has little ideas and he just puts them in i don't think there's even an effort to make them blend with the central plot here no and i think the thing because they just kind of stand alone and they rattle about and i think the sad thing about that is the fucking episode is called the letters of septimus noon so you're like oh okay well it's gonna have and i i guess like no one like kind of like the word stuff like kind of you know links it in but not enough that you're going because I felt like all the time I was waiting for Septimus Noon to get linked with this woman who's been stabbed. Right. Can we drill down into Septimus Noon? Mm. The explanation at the end, I think, is genuinely nuts. It's bonkers. In the course of the episode, Polly's dad dies. So she goes back to her ancestral home and Jonathan and her are going to, they're going to like tidy up their parents' belongings, but they eventually move in there. And she finds the stash of letters from a lover called Septimus Noon. Yeah. And then at the end, we find out these, she never had a lover at all. No. This is a name that you see on a headstone in the local cemetery. And yeah. the whole reason behind it was when her mother was dying, she came up with this plot, this idea to lessen the grief, to make out that she was having an affair. So Polly's dad would feel less bad about her dying. And then he would move on with his life. I don't know if I'm ever going to get married, but if my future wife is listening to this, please do not do that to me. That will destroy me. 
after a 50 year marriage and we've had a daughter if i find that that is destroying me i'm not moving on you'd just be sad (laughs) i'd be so betrayed more sad (laughs) also as well paul if if the dad had found those right that means he, he would probably be like right i'm gonna find out who this guy is but the thing that i don't understand right is there is a headstone for Septimus Nu, mm. but the whole thing is like, it's no one. It doesn't, like, who put the headstone there? Well, like, is that, because I'm like, oh, she's noticed that. I think she's just nicked the name. But it doesn't make any sense that it's no one then. Because, like, for me, it's like, they, it makes sense that it's like, no one. Okay, then that makes sense that she would make up that name. And she's like, because she's, if she was into word puzzles like that, and she's made up this name Septimus No One, it, which is mad. But it's a real person. So no one. It doesn't make, like, I know it leads them on to believe it, but... That's another thing, just, like, establishing that little... That's a clue in itself for that, is, like, her mum loved wordplay. I know you're funny, though. I know her mum loved wordplay and stuff like that. It doesn't take much to go noon, no one, does it? Like... (laughs) Because it's a mad surname. (laughs) Also, her mum loves wordplay and just why betraying her husband. Like, what horrible... When they find that out, I can't believe no character registers going... This is horrible. That's fucking insane. Hazel writes the letters for it. It's like, yeah. This is also. I know we've said this a lot with when you go when you find out in the reveal that a lot of people were involved in the murder. Why is Hazel all right with that? If my mate came to, I'm thinking of doing this to lessen his grief after this cancer takes hold. Don't do that. He loves you. Also, at the same time, Hazel has written these letters. The dad never actually found them. Despite having this letter? So I don't understand. It didn't go looking for him? Right. I don't know. But if I was Hazel, I, I assume I'd be popping around there now and again. I'd be like, oh, you've uh, had a look in the uh, back bedroom of you? Oh, you should. Like, it, it's so weird. And then the mark on the desk and that, the reversible desk, the couple's desk. I feel like that just exists really just to have a little bit more of a mystery, but also to do the... The R.I.P. gag with the daughter carving it. Yeah. Uh, that's mad, that is. That bit is. Hazel's mother's disappearing ashes, like, getting sucked up by a a Roomba. I'll come back later. It, it's a really, really odd episode, man. In all that, there is a really good episode. There is a really good mystery. I do like the idea also. Bloody hell, he's spending some budget on the production of The Yellow Root. Yeah. It's impossible! And I thought there was going to be... I think I remember thinking this when I first watched it. I've never looked up The the Yellow Room because I actually do want to read it one day because it's like one of the first Lock Room mysteries. So I didn't want to go check it. I wonder if there was any opportunity to make the actual mystery a mirror of that in like a really fun way. Yeah. And I don't know how closely that does um, match up with what happens in The Yellow Room because I don't want to spoil a 200-year-old novel for myself. Yeah, maybe it does a little bit. And that's what they're playing, riffing off more, but... That happens quite a lot in Gossip Girl, where they'll take the plot of a very famous romance novel or romantic film, and then they'll ape it in 40 minutes uh, in Gossip Girl. When they do it well, there's some really good episodes to be had out of it as well. And I feel like with a mystery, 
there's a really good way of doing that. Mm. Whereas I think what is really strange is maybe the structure of the yellow room is that you find out what who did it. Yeah. It's just this episode, even going from the last special, when Jonathan comes out of retirement, this episode straight on and it kind of carries on into the next two. Mm. This is feels and plays like a completely different show to me. Yeah. Everything about it feels different, really. The structure, the approach, the amount of additional supporting characters that have yeah. screen time independent of Jonathan. But also, do you know what's really strange? is like, I'd like to think that people don't do things not for a reason. And like, we've 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 heard David Renwick give interviews saying like, it's really hard to get something on the BBC, something new on the BBC, whereas it's actually quite easy <laughs> like I'm sure the BBC are just constantly waiting for him to rig him up and be like, "All right, I'll do an, I'll do you another Creek uh, Easter." With this, it's a whole three episode series. Yeah, I would love to speak to him and ask him what. It's almost like he's gone. I want to write a slightly different type of Jonathan Creek. Yeah, because it's much more comedy drama about incidents than it is about the mystery. Is just something he almost used to do. I think like that is a big thing where it's played on by. Polly, who says quite a lot of time, you know, you want to live in the real world, I want to do this. Maybe that is Renwick just saying, that's not what it's about anymore. It's about spending time with the character. But the character is really only interested when he's Mm. solving mysteries. And I think even the people in the show know that because he keeps getting dragged back into them. Yeah, that's what he is. It's, It's really strange. It's a really strange episode. There's lots of times where I'm watching a show and I do generally think, I had it most of the time with like Breaking Bad, where I was like, I could do with a nice three episodes of Breaking Bad where they're just enjoying all the money that they've made mm. from drugs. Nothing is going wrong. No one's trying to kill them. They're all very happy. Doing a big Amazon order. Yeah, I just like to see them, you know, have the summer off or whatever. And like, maybe, and like sometimes you think, you know, if you like, and if you like a, a character, I just want to see what they like on their downtime. But it's it's kind of like it's not one or the other. It's not quite doing nothing, and it's not quite doing what we like about Jonathan Creek. So you're stuck in this weird middle ground where it's kind of pulling both ways, and you do, you just you leave very unsatisfied. I feel, and it's just it's, it's just very very strange. So how did that work for you then, tactically? You might know the man would try and bite you in the neck. I might know he'd try and bite me in the neck? No. Do we have to assume that everyone in the theatre's a vampire now, do we? Okay. Well, we've had... <laughs> we've kind of had the effect, the method and reveal, but not really, because they did it all over the place. But there are other elements to make up every other Jonathan Creek episode, including the Victor Meldry Award for Most Unbelievable Scene. Now, I've got the room before this. Yeah. I feel like a Roomba coming in and sucking up. I I always feel like whenever there's ashes in a show, it's 90% of the time played for laughs. Yeah. It's one because it's one of those things no one in my family's been cremated. I assume the the urn or the container that you get a person's ashes in isn't just is a screw lid. Yes. But in TV, any time a person is in ashes, it's just a lid. It's just, yeah, it's always very precariously placed. It's always ends up over someone's face, on a floor. 
in some food. It's strange, isn't it, how ashes are almost always played for laughs. Yeah, or pouring them off and it blowing back in your face. Yeah, I feel like I've seen that a million times. Oh, she not know her mum has a rumba. Yeah, because I feel like having a rumba at that time... In that kind of area, which is like quite rural, I feel like the robot vacuum cleaner would be a really big story. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, Jan down the road has got one of them robot vacuum cleaners. Yeah, because we find out in the next episode, not as not much is happening in this village that goes unnoticed. Exactly, yeah. So someone having a robot vacuum cleaner, I feel like... I've I've always wanted to get Roomba, but I'm I'm afraid that it would... Don't want to train it. Well, yeah, that's a lot of work. But also, I'm afraid that Coco wouldn't like it. Because Coco... She could just ride it. Well, she she changes her mind about the actual vacuum cleaner that we've got, which is like a, obviously a stand-up upright one. Now and again, she's afraid of it. And now and again, she just attacks it as you're doing. She's like trying to bite it as you're, as you're hoovering. So I wouldn't know what she was going to do with a robot one. <laughs> And also she's got long hair as well. It's like, oh, imagine if she got tangled up in it or something like that. Oh. I'm sure that doesn't happen. Well, that's that's all I got for Victor Meldrew Ward. I've put Jonathan's massive riding hat. Oh, yeah. That is fair enough. It's not Meldrew, but it's just ridiculous. They've gone, that's just giving him an, an absurdly big hat. I also think just the whole concept of Ridley. Yeah. Because you can't, there's essentially one scene, I've just noticed my notes, well, it actually says, elementary, my dear Holmes. Oh, God. Don't do a parody and have him say that. Yeah. But I, I actually just meant to mention this, but the whole Ridley thing is, what's the status of Jonathan even getting involved in this crime? Yeah. It seemed like he can turn up and walk into any room where there's police outside. He can bring <laughs> a random dude on work experience and let him yep. go off and do all this stuff. That's the weird thing. It's like Jonathan seems to have carte blanche access to any murder now. They do kind of, I guess, set up the fact that Polly knows the theatre director or something. So you assume that it's gone through that. But they don't spend a lot of time on it at all. But also as well as like uh, Natalie, well not Natalie, Raquel Casti, who when I was a, when I was younger, I was completely in love with um, when she was on Teachers. Um, I absolutely loved her. But like her entire character... You know, like when that little girl goes fucking ape shit because he says, oh. oh, I've cut your horse's head off there. It's like, and then the mum goes nuts with him and has a huge go at him. And then next scene is like, oh, can my son come on work experience with you? It's all over the place. So like, she she's a wild character. I'm going to get back to her in a, a little bit as well. But Should we have thing that's dated the most? Yes. Having a university student the way that you show that they're a university student by having sideburns and a scarf that's good i feel like the way that he i know he's meant to kind of be a piss take of sherlock even uh, so i think that's why but i always feel like anytime you have someone coming home from university or so-and-so's just come up from university their hair will be long and they'll have long sideburns or a beard or something like that i just put on two stone <laughs> yeah like yeah that happens in Mad Men quite a lot where a younger character goes away and then comes back and suddenly has sideburns it's like oh he's been at university okay right yeah I feel like that as a thing is probably like the depiction of a student maybe Um, in the intro sequence in the theatre I feel like this has gone away making a kind of polemical point about people being on their phones all the time yeah maybe that's more around the time when smartphones became smart and therefore you could get more, do more with your phone so it became like a yeah, point yeah. of interest whereas i feel like that's kind of died away a bit yeah i could see that i guess like yeah maybe there was a maybe it's dated because at that point they were going it maybe there probably were situations like that 
where theatre directors are like, fucking hell, this phone thing is getting out of hand now. We're actually going to have to address it. I think someone's saying that web link she wrote down for you. Jonathan says that. I've written that. Web link. That's, what, that's all I've got for things that date is the most. I don't have anything for most British things. I've got two. Okay, excellent. One's maybe a bit of a stretch. One is Oxfam. Yeah? As, as if Grieve can be put in a bin line and sent off to Oxfam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. British charity shop. The other one I put, this is a bit of a press, but Jonathan comes in eating an orange from a blue carrier bag that you only get in a local shop in Britain. Yeah. <laughs> like a really shit sky blue carrier bag. The reason I put this in more, if Jonathan's eating anything at a crime scene, it should be a fucking cheese sandwich. Yeah. Where's an orange come from? I know. Like you, you binned off the cheese sandwiches from the pilot for years. He comes back and now he's eating an orange. I didn't know whether he was going for like some kind of godfather thing but the weird thing with the orange thing right is he says like oh later on he's like oh, i'm gonna eat the orange because sometimes it like rejogs your memory like smells and tastes and things like that when it rejogs his memory it forgets that earlier it was taking the piss out of, Sh- of sherlock and the whole shot like close to his face then like whoosh, i got a big shot to the um painting you're like okay well you're all right with doing it now then are you because you were taking a piss out of it earlier yeah it's all right when you do it isn't it jonathan yeah I found that really, really odd. Like, it kind of doesn't know where it wants to land. I think because when it when it did come out, I don't think a lot of people were making the... Uh, drawing the same comparisons that maybe we were. Because it was like, okay, you do have someone with very distinct curly hair who is wearing a duffel coat and he is solving impossible crimes. And you're like, okay. But I think by this point, people have forgotten about Jonathan Creek. Absolutely. And, and by the time the Sherlock came out, they were probably more bad episodes of Jonathan Creek than they were good. Yeah, it was a long while since the classics. Caroline Quentin was a distant memory to people, for sure. So it obviously was a thing, because it must have been a thing, otherwise Renwick wouldn't have be keep bringing it up in this episode and having a go. For all Sherlock's faults, I think the thing that it does is it makes you, for a British TV show, it makes it feel a lot more grand Whereas I think... Yeah, just where they shoot London... Few sh- like, Luther shoots London like that, but you don't usually see that on British TV. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the charm of Jonathan Creek is it never tried to do that, or Renwick just never had the idea to do that, where it was like, it always felt really quaint to the point where, you know, the characters, for no reason, go into a village fate every other episode is absolutely fine, you know? Like I guess that's what we're encountering with these episodes. This show has been made over such a big period of time. Mm. TV fundamentally changed during this period. Absolutely, yeah. I think you and I obviously have a lot of attachment to those original episodes, but I think that's because they are clearer. I don't think it's trying mm. to be anything else than just a procedural. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's the thing. Is like They are clearer because it has a problem that a man and a lady set out to solve yeah and they solve it and it's a really satisfying show whereas this and also it could benefit because it's like renwick's first set of good ideas as well he could have been working on them for years <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the thing is it's like he makes that and then everyone's like can you make more of that and like no absolutely not and um, what i can make you is this weird comedy drama about people who just generally don't seem happy <laughs> I have also, I forgot that they work in marketing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're in a bit, isn't it? <laughs> it's so weird. All right. In, you know, things that be all right. I, I just, I've just got Polly. Like, Polly having a go at Jonathan 
like forgetting bit. Like a man bites him and punches him in the face, and Polly has a go at him. So I actually forgot. I meant to check, like, look this up. So I'm doing it right now. Mm. Is that some kind of meta reference to Alan Davis when he bit that? homeless man oh maybe so yeah i think it might be so in 2007 he got in a scuffle with a guy outside the groucho club right and at the time a lot of tabloids reported it as he bit the ear off a homeless man (laughs) davis said in 2009 to the times two years later he wasn't a tramp he was a raging horrendous arsehole he called me a c-word several times or if it wasn't him it was his mate and yes i went for him and yes i did it in what turned out to be an amusing way he bit his ear. Oh my god! What bit it off, or just bit a bit of there? It just says bit the ear of a homeless man in, in Wikipedia. So I think that's maybe it's got to be. Yeah, it's too pointed otherwise. So I think that's them having a laugh about this mad thing Alan Davis did. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I've I've been in not situations where it's got that bad, right? But I have been in confrontational situations, and to be fair, the my partners that I've been with at the time, like. The worst one was at the cinema watching Scream 4. I threw a guy's phone. And like I thought I was going to have a fight in the middle of a cinema. But the guy backed down and said, oh, we'll get you after the film. And it was two, him and two mates. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving now. So if you want to fight, let's go fight right now. And like, I think my partner was got really, really scared. And I did actually realize I was like, oh, my God, that was probably really horrible for you. Mm in a way that I... I had, Please don't do yeah. that when I'm there. <laughs> in a way that I'd never thought of. And I was like, these people were just being horrendous in this film. On their phones, talking, shouting stuff out. They're just making the whole cinema experience horrible for everyone. In a similar way to what these people with the phones are doing. It's exactly what happens. And I, I, I did kind of... I feel like Polly telling him to leave her in the theatre. I can kind of understand that because maybe she doesn't want to see this kind of confrontation. Jonathan fucking chucks himself right into it. But then he gets bit and punched in the eye. She's not, like, shaken up. She's taking the piss out of him for being an idiot. And he's just like, I don't think that's all right because whatever you think of the situation just happened, Yaz just been bitten yeah. and beat up. I mean, a lot of times it does not feel like she loves him. No. We were talking about what we liked about the show. I think one element we definitely did like was him and Maddie and their relationship and trying to figure out whether Jonathan was capable of a meaningful relationship. Suddenly we flash forward and holy shit, Jonathan Creek is married. And yet I have no sense of their relationship. No. Of why they fell in love or... It doesn't even feel like there's much warmth between them. There is like in pockets. I know like um, I can understand, right? If you're a writer... And you maybe don't want to take your show in all the places that you think take away the magic of that show. So he didn't want to have Jonathan dating Maddie in a normal way, you know, moving into the windmill, having a baby. They didn't want to write that, right? They thought maybe that was too cliche. He didn't want to do it. Maybe he thought it was a bit shit. Maybe he thought, oh, you know, it's already been done. I just don't think that you can then cut to him having a relationship with this woman being married with her and i meant to care that her dad is dead i meant to care about this person who i'm na- who i'm now spending like 40 percent of my time with and i just think like who is it who is polly who the fuck is she like why do i care <laughs> also let's go back to your point it's like also don't literally take away the magic yeah <laughs> it's one of my favorite things <laughs> yeah not only take it away but have the person who's taking it away slag it off every episode as well so while I don't think she she's great towards him, 
in that all right i did also put the weird misunderstanding with sharon and her phone mm. when she realizes her dad isn't dead it's polly's dad that's wild isn't it you know what this isn't my phone it must be your phone oh thank you god thank you so much because yeah, i just naturally picked it up off there and oh, what a relief i mean that really scared me to Because she's just like, oh, so relief. Oh, it's bad for you, isn't it? I actually don't think it's quite nice that her dad's just dead. <laughs> Jonathan does nothing. No. He just sits there silently and looks. And that's why it doesn't feel like a proper marriage. That scene where she's got the wrong phone. Like, I'd almost put that in the Meldrew Award because it's just so daft. Well, it's, it's very Meldrew in the sense of playing something very dark for light laughs. Yes. But also, usually when that happens in uh, One Foot in the Grave, it's not the main character's dad that it would be played about. It'd be a neighbor. It'd be a friend of the family or something like that. Whereas this one is, you know, the, for all intents and purposes, the second character, the second biggest character in the show. And we have no idea about them. And they do play for a massive big laugh. It's weird, isn't it? It's not on. It's really not on. The other not all right is the sex scene between Angus and Rachel is horrible. Where he's like not present. Oh yeah, I, I put that in the grot cabinet. Let's open up the grot cabinet really quickly and put that in. <laughs> <laughs> just chuck it in. Yeah, it's just like the psychology of that on like seven o'clock on a Saturday is horrible. I feel like that entire bit with the you know the guy who's obsessed and his wife and like they take up a very small part of that episode after the stabbing. Yeah, it's almost like the stabbing thing. It's just so secondary. It's really, it's a, it's a really, really, really odd thing. It's a very hard episode. That I, I find it hard to keep it all in my head because it's all in a very odd order. Things happen that almost like have no significance, and people react in ways that you really can't relate to because you either they are doing quite odd things or. They're characters that you haven't spent any time with. Mm. It's really strange. I've been watching Hannibal recently. And the reason that I bounced off Hannibal is because I I thought Hannibal, fantastic, fought Hugh Dancy as, what's the fucking character's name? Will Graham. Will Graham, absolutely fantastic. Some other little characters, really, really good. The reason I bounced off is because in the middle of these this beautiful storyline between Hannibal and Will. It's the greatest love story on TV. Yeah. Then in the background of that, they keep having to have these murders happen. And if they have a murder, they have to go to their lab. And then you have like the most cartoony network television, mm. uh, like lab assistants. And it takes you, it took me, I bounced off it because of these people. Because every time they come back, they'd be like making jokes about the bodies and stuff like that. It's like, no, you can't have that because this isn't that show. And like, I couldn't put those two things together. And I'm now gone back to it. And I'm now in the middle of uh, like right at the end of season two. And I'm like, uh, when things start actually happening that affect those characters outside of them being in a lab, making these funny little quips, I'm like, okay, well, now that I've spent all that time with them, I do actually appreciate having spent all that time with them because now I'm seeing them as actual mm. people. Mm. Whereas I guess that's what you miss out in in Jonathan Creek is because you, every single episode, we're introduced to a massive new cast of characters that we're meant to care about and know about. And, it's a really big cast. And well, next episode is even bigger. And it's just like, 
what's happening here? We've just never been given the information about Polly that you need. No, it's it's really odd. And that, that's things like, you know, we go into the, the romance update now. Is, is like, I like her sometimes. I generally like, you know, when her and Jonathan are trying to get around the security guard. For me, it feels like she's into that. Yeah. And it's just like, that's what you want. You want someone to be like, right, this is how we're going to do it. We're like working together. The worst thing is forced apathy, where she's just like, oh, God, the bloody magic again. Fuck off. What are you doing? Uh, like- <laughs> well, the first one, I've, re- I've got lots of bullet points in Jonathan and Polly. The one where right at the beginning they go visit Sharon mm. and she's talking about them. Oh, like, yeah, like we're thinking we're like moving back to the country. He fucking lived in the country. Yeah. <laughs> he lived in the country. What do you want from him? And also the, You could have lived in a windmill. They go back to her family home. You made him sell his family home. Yeah. That was his ancestral home and you made him get rid of it. If I was Jonathan, it was like, what do you want? Yeah. Because I don't know, Polly. I don't know what you want. Because there's the thing in a relationship where, without knowing more about them, it comes across as she's just pushy. But you don't know the conversations they've had and yeah, and how much he actually genuinely wanted to change his life. Because if that's the case, then that's fair enough because that's then what she bought into as well. That's the thing. Because, you know, there's a line where she says, Jonathan's not a detective, Sharon. The very thing we're trying to put is behind us. Have they actually had that conversation where he's just like, we have had those snippets from Jonathan going... Those crazy women ruined my life. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I just don't think you get enough of those conversations and where they're at. No. So she's just very often framed as the bad guy. It's not fair for her to be constantly framed as the bad guy if it's also something that he wants because what you're actually robbing the audience of is the other side of the conversation. And then you're making your second character like hated by your entire audience. That's not good planning, is it? Imagine a version... A- version of Batman mm. where Batman's married and the entire show or movie or comic is his wife just stopping him from being Batman yeah I guess like that's the thing is like it, it, you do kind of get that that's why I really like the Creed films because Adonis Creed he is an idiot and I think sometimes he does want to fight for the wrong reasons for sure but I think he recognises that he wants to fight for the wrong reasons and yeah he's fighting to get out of his father's shadow what he doesn't have then is like the Adrian character being like, please stop fighting. You are going to die. Like he has a girlfriend who supports him the entire way. She's with him. She's at his side constantly. She wants him to win. She wants him to fight because she knows it's important for him. And what you end up getting is such a better relationship and such a better rounded i'm not saying she's a perfect character but you get such a better female character because she is a supportive person who's in for the journey she's not this person that's holding him back and you know no matter what's gonna happen at the end of that film that man is getting a fucking boxing ring and he's gonna fight someone like that's gonna happen in that film we know that's what everyone in the cinema has paid to see that's what they're gonna enjoy so why have this character that's constantly pulling him back from doing the thing that not only the character wants to do but what's what the audience wants to do because what ends up happening is as an audience you just turn against that character and it's 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 horrible just let him put one of his magic posters up in the house (laughs) in the back room that's all i want that's all i want (laughs) like after the bit of the theater she says i sometimes wonder jonathan exactly what i married that's that's never a nice thing to say to someone which 
which then completely undoes this thing that we're that you know that we're posing, which was actually this is a really grown up relationship, and we're only seeing one side of it. When she says stuff like that, and when she constantly slags him off behind his back to complete strangers that we've never met before, <laughs> you like you do kind of get the wrong idea about Polly. Yeah, sorry. On the other side, he should give her a hug when her dad dies. <laughs> On the next episode, we're stumped by how a retired psychic could predict the lottery numbers in The Sinner and The Sandman. Up the Creek is produced by RKG. We make podcasts and videos about games, movies, basically anything fun, including 23-year-old BBC shows about a magician's assistant who lives in a windmill. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG.